Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are talking to Perk, former NBA player, current ESPN host, Kendrick Perkins, who has a new book along with Seth Rogoff called The Education of Kendrick Perkins. A lot to ask him, and I have a feeling I might have a question about Shannon Sharp, Dylan Brooks, T. Morant, Stephen Adams. Oh my goodness. I'm just going to ask Perk what he thought, and then we're going to get into the book. Next, I got some words to say about Tony Dungy. No surprise there. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and more. But first, let's talk to Kendrick Perkins. So we'll just start right off. But, you know, I I would be guilty of malpractice, Perk, if I didn't say these words to you and just ask you your response. Just real quick. Okay. Shannon Sharp, T. Morant, Dylan Brooks, Stephen Adams, your thoughts. I love it. I love it. You know why? Let me me, me tell you why. Like, obviously, no no one is going to throw punches and no one is going to get hurt. But I just think it, it brings that good competitive vibe and nature back to the game of basketball. Like, it, it's that old school 90s where you have something to look for. And then, guess what? I think that even helped the Lakers, you know, win the game last night. Like, that energy, that ten- that energy that they needed that Shannon Shaw brought on the sideline, that's what you need. Like, I'm tired of the jersey swipe swaps and stuff like that. Like, no, like, let's not like each other between the lines and, and, and go out there and compete. Now, he was your teammate. Why is it a good idea for no one to fight the big Kiwi, Stephen Adams? Oh, I mean, by far the strongest dude ever. And and you have to realize this. I think Stephen Adams got like 17 brothers and sisters. Like, <laughs> his sister's like one of the best, like, in shot putting in the world. Like, all his brothers seven foot. And you should see how they interact with each other. Like it's a lot of wrestling and, and like grabbing and fighting. Like nobody got time for that. And you know, he hunts in New Zealand in the woods with no shoes on when he go hog hunt. Like no shoes, a knife. Like who really wants those problems with Stephen Adams? <laughs> it's a great question. So Perk, the book is called The Education of Kendrick Perkins. Just straight up, why did you want to write a book at this point in your career? Why now? Well, I, I thought it was the perfect time, uh, meaning for us with my basketball career being over, um, me starting to, to be in the media right now, starting my new career. And I wanted to tell my story. Like, Nobody really knew my story. I never really opened up publicly to the world about who I am as Kendrick Perkins, where I grew up, how I grew up, who raised me, uh, the city, the state, how the surroundings, you know, things to that nature, and how much, like, you know, for its culture and the environment I grew up in. So I kind of wanted to like put the sports and black American history in one, if if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But I, I just wanted the world to know who I was. Like people just knew Perk with the scowl on his face, the enforcer, but I, I wanted to give my backstory. Now, the education of Kendrick Perkins, my first thoughts, of course, immediately went to the miseducation of Lauren Hill, which made me think of the famous Carter Woodson book, The Miseducation of the Negro, where did you come up with that title? 
Well, so it was it was actually myself and self who, you know, helped, you know, kind of what he actually helped me with the book. We spent hours together and we just wanted to do something different, like not just your regular memoir, you just telling your story. Like I said, the mixture. And uh, you know, one is my my story in particular, but also I have so much history. Uh just around the area where I'm from, for as you know, the Jamesburg Junior, uh, you know, uh, Dragon and Jasper, Texas. When I was growing up, um, mm -hmm. just the racism that still goes on in the Deep South that people don't really know about. For me, moving to Boston, seeing the culture change, and and being around, you know, just certain athletes and and watching how they move and things to that nature. And I think just tying it all together. And also how to survive for us in the NBA, being a, a role player for 14 years. Um, you know, just those type of things. I just, it was just time. But I didn't want it to just be about me, right? Like, it's about me, but I didn't just, because, you know, we could, re, we could, basically, we could go out and we could just pick up books and we could just hear about people's life, right? They go just tell their story. But I, I kind of wanted to, touch the audience, especially the younger and older generation, just in di different aspects. Like for us, the younger generation, like this is what you suspect. This is how you handle adversity. This is what our world is today. This is how you can conduct yourself and be successful. And to the older generation that's older than me, I just want to let them know like that it's more to me than what you just see on the court or on TV. Mm. You know, you start the book with Beaumont, Texas. Uh, wow, is that powerful. What was it like for you, Kendrick Perkins, to grow up in Beaumont? And what education, if you will, did you receive from growing up in Beaumont? Well, you know what? That, that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. That's what I think of when I think of Beaumont, Texas. That's what I think of growing up in Palachi, right? It takes a village to raise a child. And Beaumont, Texas is a small town. Uh, I mean, you know, less than 100,000. Uh, everybody knows everybody. Um, you know, the church, the church, everybody is pretty much involved in church, whether you go to this church or that church, but everyone knows everyone. And so, you know, I, going throughout my years, I, I literally stayed in like five different homes, right? Like, family, friends, and friends stayed at my homes. And, and it was just, it's just, when you think of Beaumont, one, it's surrounded by seven refineries, seven to eight refineries, big industrial uh, city. But Beaumont is just like that family vibe, um, country on the border of Louisiana, you're gonna get a lot of good seafood, that gumbo, that fried crawfish, that fried alligator, you know, you're gonna be outside your comfort zone. You may walk outside and see an alligator crossing the street. It's just part of it. But I think that's who, that's what made me to who I am today. Mm. I'm sure you have something you wanna say then about the Beaumont Bulldogs, the youth football team that took a knee and had their entire league canceled. Not just their team, but the league. It, it's Beaumont for you. Like Beaumont is, is like we always want to stay on the front line and be leaders. That's what Beaumont is. 
Uh, Beaumont is not afraid to jump off the porch. Uh, and that's what I saw as far as when you talk about the Bulldogs. It was just like, no, we're going to do this. And this is what it is. We're going to deal with the consequences, whatever that, whatever may come our way. But we're going to stand by that and we're going to stand on it. That's Beaumont, Texas for you. And that's everybody that you may meet or come across from Beaumont, Texas. That's how they carry themselves. And it's not an arrogant way. It's just more so like, we don't view the world and look at other people as like, you know, like a high power. Like we feel like every room we walk in, we're going to take charge. We feel like every area we in, we're going to be leaders. That's, that's like the Beaumont way. Like that's just what Beaumont do. Now there, the book brilliantly weaves together black history and your history that there are, people right now in politics who say we don't need to learn black history or we shouldn't learn black history or that it's decisive it's divisive to even talk about black history what would you say to them i say that that's like ridiculous mm -hmm. that's ridiculous and, and, and it makes my damn skin crawl to be honest with you uh how can you tell a race that they shouldn't educate the younger generation or educate people about their history. It makes zero sense at all. Like, you can't make that make sense to me. Like, why can't my kids learn about their history and black history and African-American history? Why can't they learn about everything and what people had to fight for and what we're still fighting for 400 plus years later and why certain situations are happening? If we turn on the news and my children are, uh, and I are watching the news and we see George Floyd with a knee to his neck. And my kids are like, why is this happening? Or why is this going on? Why are these people protesting? What's going on, Dad? I should be able to explain to them why and explain to them what led up to this situation and how we got here. This is one of the major points of Black history. It's okay to let people know, these young kids especially, where they come from, what's their, what's the history behind their skin color? It's nothing to it. And so the people, the people that quote unquote that are in politics that have a problem with that, shame on them. That's all I can say. Shame on them. Well, I'll be sending this interview to the governor of Florida. So hopefully response. Right. <laughs> um you know, as 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 you've covered, you know, more NBA players have in recent years spoken. About, about black history, spoken right. about questions of justice, uh, spoken out against racial inequity. As a very recently former player, seeing even some of your former teammates take the lead on some of these issues, what would have been your thoughts in seeing this? It's, it's been beautiful. And it just goes to show you again, how much learning your history matters, how much African-American and black history matters because you see young guys like Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, right, that are leading the way, that are still playing the game today, that had, haven't even, like, touched the surface of just, like, forget their basketball career, just, like, they're not even 30 or close to being 30 years of age yet. And they're leading the way, and they're educating people. When you hear those young guys speak, they know what they're talking about. You can tell they, they, they've been raised right, that you can tell they know their history 
and they're educating. And it's a beautiful thing to see because, to be honest with you, while I was playing, you know, except for LeBron, a lot of most guys then retired and moved on to their next journey in life. But we didn't have guys that were just stand out there on the front line. We didn't have guys that were holding ownership groups uh, across the league accountable publicly. And the owners were responding publicly and helping out in those situations. So seeing, watching these young guys in the league today and watching how they're leading and, and by example, and out there really on the front line, forget just talking about it in the interview, like they're really out there in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. And seeing that today is what you want kids to watch and model. Like those, those guys are role models to me. Like that, that should be a lot of kids' role models watching. Like, forget, action speaks louder than words. Mm. And uh, I, I do have to ask you in this context uh, about the great Kyrie Irving. I mean, I, I was, of course, not a big fan, as many people were not, of the video link he posted. But as you well know, a lot of players said, forget about the video. I guess some politics will get you in trouble, but others are okay. What what does Perk think about all that? You know what? With Kyrie Irving, I, I overreacted at first and I judged him, right? I judged him without knowing. Uh and one, we you should never hate any race, right? And and never put out there, I would never do it. I love everybody. Um, but I think it was more so about just getting an understanding. Uh, from what Kyrie was coming from. Uh, And I think also, he also learned in the situation. But I think, to be honest with you, a lot of it was kind of overblown, in my opinion. Uh, Meaning that a lot, this situation could have been handled a lot differently from Kyrie aspect and from others aspect. Like, it didn't have to be public breaking news. And guess what? I was part of it. I thought a lot of this could have been resolved behind the scenes because all it did, in my opinion, was it caused more separation Mm -hmm. in the African-American community. Mm -hmm. That's what it did. And it made some of, got some guys that are actually, you know, role models and leaders and with big social media followers lash out. And then all of a sudden you get this back and forth and guess what? All of a sudden, you got people. You you also you basically giving people, uh, telling people to pick a side, and you're on the same side, right? So you're fighting for the same reason, and and everybody is fighting for you know just for love and peace and for everybody to be treated fairly. But all of a sudden, it just caused separate more separation in the black community. Yeah. Yeah, in so many communities, we see the circular firing squad, where instead of yeah. arms, we're looking at each other, and that that's that plague. Let me let me say this: like this is my thing. This is the problem that we all have: is that everybody wants you to do things their way, right? Like if we're all fighting for the for change, all fighting for you know what. We'll, you know, the, the right things in life, uh, in our world, long as you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart and doing it, you know, genuinely, you shouldn't have to do it somebody else's way. Like I, like I tell people, 
Some people like to go out and be in the thick of things and protest. I love them for that. Some people like to stay behind the scenes and make phone calls and go in private meetings and speak their mind or write letters or do whatever. That's okay too. Long as everybody is doing their part, you shouldn't have to pick a side on how you go about doing it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And I think that also caused separation. Mm. Well, you've been, you've been terrific. I got just a couple more questions just because I'm, I, I got to geek out a little bit and ask you just a couple of geeked out questions. Um, you, you are the person best equipped to answer this question. Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> they stay together. What happens? They win at least three, four championships easy. And even in the face of Golden State. Yeah, but even in the face of Golden State. Wow. Like, they, they win three, four championships easy. Uh, I mean, but it was just a bad, it was bad timing. Uh, it was bad timing just because of the, the age, right? Like, people have to realize this. You want to accomplish everything you possibly can uh, as far as on the individual basis when you're a young player. You want to make all-star teams. You want to get max contracts. You want to make all NBAs. You want to do all that, right? And then championships come later. So people may see a big three like KG, Paul, and Ray, but they teamed up at the tail end of their career. They had already accomplished everything that they needed to individually. You saw LeBron James, D. Wade, and Bosch. It was, they was like 28, 29, 30 years of age. They already had eight, eight or nine years. KD, Russ, James, 21, 22, 21. It was a lot different. You know, those guys were still trying to, you know, put their name and, and, and worry about their name, and rightfully so. Like, I always tell people, don't never forget that. Although the NBA is entertainment to us and everybody else, it's still a damn job. You still want to maximize out, max, max out in like far as on your individual name and brand as well. What was the high point for you personally as a player? What felt better? Winning that championship in 08 or everybody saying the Celtics would have repeated if you were on the court in 09? What was more satisfying? You know what? Nothing tops that damn parade. And ah, that, <laughs> and, that, and that ugly ass book, uh, uh, duck boat, right? Like, like that's the only thing I remember about winning the championship. Seriously, like I remember riding in that in that duck boat, and like millions of people on light poles on buildings, just chanting your name, screaming your name. Like, ever since then. I just wanted to win the championship for that reason alone. Forgetting getting the championship ring, I didn't give a damn about that. It was that damn parade. It's nothing like a parade after you win a championship. Mm. Now, I think people who see you on TV and know you played 14 years in the league would be surprised to learn that you coach. And in fact, you were coaching right before this interview. Could you speak a little bit about where you coach and what that means to you? <laughs> Well, I coach my son AU team. Yeah. Uh, and it's good. You know why? Because at that age, you could you could touch them a little bit different. Like once they grown, they think they know everything. But like once the 11 year 11 years of age and 13, 14 years of age, 
Now I could get to you. Now I could, I could, I could simplify the game and tell you the reason of making the right pass and how can you impact the game without scoring? Like, and I love it. And those kids just love me so much that they just do whatever I say. They go out and they compete extremely hard. I don't have to worry about attitudes. I don't have to worry about egos. Sometimes you got to worry about parents, but that's part of it. Everybody wants their baby to be doing good and score 20 points. But like, I look forward to that. I landed, so I landed, I, my, flu, my flight landed at one o'clock this morning, right? I woke up at 7.30 and was at the gym for 8.30, ready to coach these kids. And guess what? I'm going back and I'll be there till nine tonight. And I love every minute of it, every wow. minute. Wow. So you just laid out what's the best part about AAU, which is, of course, the kids and being able to teach. I coach youth ball myself. What's the worst part about AAU? It's the parents. Mm -hmm. It's the parents. It's the parents that don't be honest with their children. That's the problem. Like, and I'm not telling you to knock your kids' dreams, right? But at some point, especially when you get up into the high school grades and even eighth and seventh grade, like you have to start telling these kids the truth. You have to start letting these kids know the real. You have to let them know that it's a very, very slim chance that your child may make it to the NBA. So go enjoy this moment. Go out there and play team basketball. It's not about you. Lose yourself in the team because you just never know, right? Like I tell people this all the time. Don't get caught up in the social media highlights because not only are you fighting within America, right? They got so many young, young athletes in America right now that's trying to make it to the next level. It's a global sport. So especially in basketball, you got Luka Doncic and, and Victor Winyabamba and, and, and all these players that are starting to, to develop overseas. And I tell parents every single day, please do not let this stress you out and get caught up in this basketball stuff. Like if your child loves it, keep pushing them. But the main thing is, is for him to be able or, or she to be able to go and pay for her college and go to school and let her be or him be successful in whatever they want to be in life. But it's the parents, man, the parents, 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 and some of these coaches that got hidden agendas that are trying to use these kids to get where they're trying to go in life as well. Amen. Uh, before you go, the thing that I always ask guests on my show is about music and what kind of music they listen to. And so what's in Perk's playlist? Oh, 90s r and I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into this, this new rap. 90s r and is the best thing ever. That's what's in my playlist, 90s r and yeah, I've got the Fly Channel, Channel 47 on my Sirius XM. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I hear that. And, and so I got to just say, this has been such a joy, Kendrick Perkins. The book is called The Education of Kendrick Perkins. For everybody out there listening, it is a different kind of sports memoir. And it's something special and worth treasuring. Kendrick Perkins, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you, my brother. And thanks for everything you're doing. I appreciate your time. Oh, I appreciate you as well. We'll be back right after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. 
We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words. Okay, look, I've covered the March for Life in Washington, D.C. for years, the anti-abortion mass gathering, and it is a madhouse of right-wing gadflies, disinformation addicts, QAnon adherents, and most disturbingly, class after class after class of teenage and tween-age children dragged there by teachers who utterly abuse their authority in ways that would make Ron DeSantis smirk, because he, of course, only outlies the speech of some teachers, like those who, I don't know, want to teach about black history and slavery in this country. That's not allowed, but teachers dragging their kids to an extremist right-wing march is just lovely. Now, this year's march on January 20th, however, had a first-time participant who trumpeted a giddy excitement over the festivities. His name is Tony Dungy, retired Hall of Fame coach, co-host of the top-rated NBC show Football in America, and someone venerated throughout the NFL world as a man of character. Well, as they said in Pulp Fiction, just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. Because anyone who heard Dungy's speech on January 20th knows that calling him a man of character is hogwash. Because Dungy invoked Damar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bill player who almost died on the field. He invoked Hamlin's cardiac arrest as he called on Americans to pray for an end to abortion. And he said, every day in this country, innocent lives are at stake. The only difference is they don't belong to a famous athlete and they're not seen on national TV. Wow. Dungy is certainly taking his fake ass reputation for a test drive. And it's hardly the first time. Dungy has spent years as an anti-gay bigot while the NFL and NBC barely blink. He speaks at conferences whose organizers are violently homophobic. He said publicly and proudly that he would not want gay football player Michael Sam on his team. He said over a decade ago that he disagreed with the quote-unquote lifestyle of Jason Collins, the first out active male gay player in the main four North American sports. This is a dungy staple, by the way, calling being LGBTQ a lifestyle even after people have said to him repeatedly how hurtful and outdated such a description is. He simply doesn't care. And people should read the two-part series in Outsports by Sid Ziegler, the great Sid Ziegler, about Dungy's history of homophobia. Now the latest Dungy move where he sounded like a talk radio caller or Supreme Court Justice Sam Alito was earlier this week when he took to Twitter to object to a new law providing tampons and bathrooms in the public schools of the Twin Cities. This is, of course, none of Dungy's non-menstruating business, but he felt the need to sound off by writing in response to the hard right-wing Daily Wire's anger at people having periods by taking it to another level, writing, That's nothing. Some school districts are putting litter boxes in the school bathrooms for students that identify as cats. 
very important to address student needs. This snark doubles as a widely debunked lie used by the far right to argue that LGBTQ kids, and especially trans kids, have been coddled and abused to the point where they don't even identify as their own species. It's a lie that Dungey happily touted. Only when countless people explained to Dungey that he was spreading violently harmful disinformation, or maybe after he received a call from NBC, did Dungey delete the tweet. He did so without apology or explanation. He did so with minimal courage. This is a staggering indictment of the politics the NFL and the network's partners allow and the kind that they condemn. When someone like, gee, I don't know, Colin Kaepernick steps up and kneels down to end police violence and racial inequity, he becomes a pariah. Meanwhile, Dungey is held up as a deeply religious man and nearly a patron saint of the league. Dungey has used his devoutness as a cover for his anti-gay rhetoric and sharing platforms with unapologetic bigots. But what in the world is religious about bearing false witness against teachers and children with a lie that has had real-life repercussions? Every bomb threat leveled against children's hospitals, every physical assault, bears the fingerprints of these lies. Dungey should feel shame. Instead, he is emboldened, ready to take the stage at a rally that's been a blunt instrument for robbing people of their rights to privacy and their rights to their own bodies. This side of Dungey, which he has exhibited publicly for years, confuses some fans. After all, this is the same Dungey who was a widely admired trailblazer as the first black coach to win an NFL title. This is the same Dungey who had love and forgiveness in his heart for outcast NFL players Michael Vick and Ray Rice. Dogfighting and assaulting one's partner, Dungey believed, do not disqualify a person for a second chance and an opportunity at redemption. And I agree that no one should be defined by their worst, most unforgivable moments. But what do you do when someone has over a decade of unforgivable moments? What do you do when someone held up as the definition of character is so relentless with these ideas? If Dungey wants a show on the Daily Wire, more power to him. But his being center stage on the most watched program in the country makes NBC and the NFL complicit in his disinformation and political posturing. Like Dungey, neither NBC nor the NFL has commented about his latest eruption, but their silence speaks volumes. It's a silence that's almost as loud as Dungey's hateful blather, almost as loud as the thousands of people descending upon Washington, some mandatorily, to celebrate a fascistic, discredited Supreme Court and the loss of our rights. It's shameful, and we should not be afraid to say so. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award this week. Stand up! 
frankly, goes to Sid Ziegler, the founder of Outsports, one of the co-founders of Outsports, I should say, a tremendous website that offers perspectives on LGBTQ uh, participants and fans in the world of sports. Sid Ziegler has been talking about Tony Dungy for years and years and years. And finally, with this latest comment by Dungy, Sid Ziegler's words have been picked up by others. Sid Ziegler is changing the conversation in the media. He's changing the conversation about how we speak about these issues. And he's taken a lot of crap for it. So this week, the Just Stand Up Award goes to Sid Ziegler. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. First of all, it goes to every right-wing scumbag who's been harassing me for daring to speak out about Tony Dundry. I'm not saying your name because I know that's what they're in it for, but just know you're saying you're watching me, I'm watching you. All right? All right. And look, and I also want to be clear about something. I've been accused constantly and threatened constantly because I'm saying Tony Dungy should be canceled. I'm not saying he should be canceled. I'm saying he should be accountable. And the absence of accountability that he's held to by the NFL and NBC is absolutely shameful. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to the producer of this podcast, David Tigaboo. Thank you to everybody who supports the show over at our Patreon page. And if you want to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. And for everybody out there listening, please, please mask up right now. And please, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. <laughs>